the following podcast contains strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Kia ora tato, no mai haramai, welcome to the Femporium, your one-stop shop for all things femme in fantasy and sci-fi literature. I'm your host, Tori, and this is a special Christmas episode! Except I'm not actually talking about Christmas! Not much, anyway. I'm still at my parents' house, so the ambiance is still going to be unique, and I'm drinking eggnog. I met at the base yesterday, which I was a little concerned to discover is basically just custard, and I'm going to be trying it with the fucking dog. Anyway, uh, I'm going to be trying it with the assorted liquors that I've taken from what I have assumed to be my dad's public liquor cabinet. Now, I wanted this episode to be like the bird of the year special where I downed some wines, smashed the episode out in an hour, and this one was a little harder to do than that. If this is a Christmas special, why isn't the episode about Christmas? I hear you not ask. I looked into some options for Christmas stuff that I could talk about, and I just kept coming up with wintery stuff, but it's not winter where I live. We celebrate Christmas in the summer, and I love my summer Christmases, why would I not do this episode from a summer perspective? So instead of talking about Christmas, I'm going to talk about the summer solstice. So pour yourself a festive beverage, find a comfy spot, and settle in with this tasting platter of miscellaneous midsummer facts and fictions from around the world. What is a solstice? Well, there are two a year, and they're marked by the longest and shortest days in the year. So here in the Southern Hemisphere, the winter solstice, usually around the 21st of June, marks our shortest day of the year, and is when the sun reaches its minimum declination in the sky. And our summer solstice, this year occurring on December 21st, the day I'm recording this, mm, well, it's the 21st somewhere, um, marks the longest day of the year, when the sun will reach its highest point in the sky. So naturally, it has been cold and cloudy all fucking day. Now I wanted to talk about how different cultures around the world, but specifically in the southern hemisphere, celebrate the summer solstice. This turned out to be surprisingly difficult to research, which is why this episode is coming out a little later than I had planned. Um, even shifting the focus of this episode from Christmas, something that is not celebrated by all countries and cultures, to the summer solstice, a natural phenomenon that can be observed pretty much anywhere, I was still getting mostly results for Northern Hemisphere countries. Why is it so hard to find Southern Hemisphere solstice traditions? I get that there are fewer countries south of the equator, but I feel like there are enough of us that this shouldn't be so hard. I, I literally googled December solstice, Southern Hemisphere, and the top result was Winter solstice in the Southern Hemisphere will be 21st of June. That's not what I asked for! God damn it! Ugh. Whatever. In the words of Daniel Radcliffe, I tried, and therefore nobody should criticise me. So here we go. We will start with my home country, which ended up actually being the only country I could find information about within my search parameters. And I got most of this from an article on the spin-off. Here in Aotearoa, today, or yesterday, is Te Maruaroa or Oronganui, the time when Hinero Mati, the summer maid, sends her lover, 
Tamanoi Dera, the sun god, on his journey back to his winter wife, Hinetakurua, the winter maid. For my tupuna, this season signaled the time for things like catching kahoai, my favourite fish for smoking, inanga, which I had for breakfast yesterday, uh, snaring birds and gathering various forest crops. The start of the season is signalled by the Stardehua rising above the horizon before dawn, and something I'd never heard before about it is the Swakatoki. Rehua kaitangata, meaning Rehua, the consumer of men. And it describes the relationship between summertime and the popularity of this time for making war. Delightful. Uh, in 2017, Timere did a write-up on the summer solstice for the spin-off and included this delightful bit of linguistic speculation which blew my mind and tickled me in equal parts. Now, in Te Ao Māori, our model for good health and well-being is referred to as haora. In the most simplistic terms, it's a holistic approach to health that acknowledges that there are many aspects to one's well-being and good health is a balance of these aspects. The four primary aspects to haora are tahatinana, physical well-being, tahahinengaro, mental and emotional well-being, tahafano, social well-being, and tahawairua, spiritual well-being. There is also kind of an aspect of like how your wairua interacts with the Modi and how if that gets all jacked up, it can block up the flow of your mana. Uh, but that's not what we're here for. So what's this got to do with the summer solstice and our increased time in the sunshine? Here is what Timothy says about that. From a more Māori perspective, the word hawara has been described to me as the breath of the sun. Ho meaning breath and ora meaning of the sun. Hawara has also been described as the breath of life, which is how I understand it. Ho meaning breath and ora meaning life. Health and well-being from a Māori perspective may then be considered to originate from the sun. <laughs> Blew my mind a little bit. I'd never seen it that way, separating the ora into two words instead of just one word. It was just like, oh, that's so cool. Uh, so this is the part um, <laughs> where I gave up trying to keep it December summer and decided to just work with what I could find. So here are some assorted stories, traditions from around the world about the summer solstice. Okay. So from visitestonia.com, children stay up until dawn while young leathers wander through the forest looking for a lucky fern flower said to bloom only on this night. If you are lucky enough to spot a glowworm, you may expect a great fortune. Young women looking to take a sneak peek into the future are advised to collect nine different types of flowers and place them under a pillow for the night, resulting in a predictive dream revealing a future spouse. The more adventurous boys and girls are known to take a jump over the bonfire in hopes of achieving prosperity or to swing as high as possible on the village's wooden swing. More moderate traditions include singing, dancing, and telling old folk tales. One common thing I noticed across both winter and summer solstices is the amalgamation of traditional local celebrations with Christian celebrations as Christianity spread across the world. And on that point, I would like to say, fuck that, fuck missionaries, mission work is cultural genocide. Okay? Uh, one such example of this amalgamation is Ivan Kupala, a traditional Slavic holiday 
which was originally just called Kupala. Ivan was added later with the introduction of Christianity to connect the holiday with St. John's Day. According to Wikipedia, many of the rites related to this holiday are connected with the role of water and fertility and ritual purification. On Kupala Day, young people jump over the flames of bonfires in a ritual test of bravery and faith. The failure of a couple in love to complete the jump while holding hands is a sign of their destined separation. Which seems to me like a very convenient way to end a relationship if you're just not feeling it anymore. And, like me, are a bit of a chicken shit. You know, just like, oh, let's jump over the bonfire. And then just kind of intentionally biff the jump and be like, oh, well, you heard the bonfire. I think we're done here. <laughs> Bye-bye. Um, maybe don't do that, though. Like, don't, don't be a piece of shit like me, okay? Don't, don't do that. <laughs> oh, here's, here was a fun one. Because it involves, involves flower garlands, and I'm like, flower crown! Yes, please! Uh, in Russia, wreaths are thrown in water on Ivan Kupala Day, the Feast of St. John the Baptist. Girls may float wreaths of flowers on rivers and attempt to gain foresight into their romantic relationship fortune from the flow patterns of flowers on the river. Men may attempt to capture the wreaths in the hope of capturing the interest of the woman who floated it. And this seems to be a bit of a pattern, um, predicting things from flowers and having visions and whatnot. Uh, part of Kupala, like the Estonian tradition, is to go into the forest at night looking for a fern flower, because supposedly this is the only night when they bloom. But it turns out, ferns, I, I looked it up, ferns can't produce flowers though. So maybe this is all just a pretext for some private assassinations in the forest? I don't know, but like... I'm into it, you know? That's kind of cool. Uh, in, in Gogol's story, The Eve of Ivan Kupala, a young man does find this mystical fern flower, but it's cursed by it. So Gogol's tale might have been the inspiration for Mussorgsky to compose Night on Bald Mountain, the Fantasia adaptation of which fascinated and terrified me as a child. Um, so bonfires seem to be a pretty common summer story. Fuck! Um, I just knocked over my jug of eggnog, and while I'm not really disappointed about that, turns out I'm not into eggnog. Uh, there is custard everywhere, so I'm just gonna stop now and go deal with that. Uh, uh, um, um, just skip to the end of my notes. Uh, um, have a great, whatever holiday that you might be celebrating right now, please stay safe on the roads. If you're traveling, wear a mask, wash your hands. Keep good contact tracing records, and if, you, if you're in New Zealand, for the love of all that is good and holy, please keep scanning in with the COVID Tracer app. Okay, bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye-bye!